we all have our own path. We're all unique. We're all distinct. But there are some key components that lead to better health, better wellness, better health for the planet. Now is an integral time in our existence where we have a real opportunity to change everything. And it comes down to how do we embrace uh, you know, that vibrational energy and how do we amplify that to the rest of the world? Hello, this is Dr. Deva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. Today, I have Jenna Breslin and Evan DeMarco joining me, who are part of Complete Human. Complete Human is a platform that will take a deep dive into the areas of mind, body, soul, and planet while exploring what makes us who we are and sharing what will make us more complete. The Complete Human e-commerce site can be found at shop completehuman.com and we'll be launching with an initial offering of wellness and human optimization supplements that include PRM response, CBC plus, an immunity line, a bio omega line, and a rest beat line. Jenna Breslin was born and raised in Southern California and is a former pharmaceutical representative for one of the leading pharmaceutical companies in the world. After battling multiple health issues and realizing she could heal herself with food and nutrition, she discovered a passion for helping others achieve optimal health. Jenna is now a well-known fitness model, certified personal trainer, health coach, and nutrition expert. Over the course of her career, Jenna has been crowned bikini champion on six occasions, along with being on the cover of multiple fitness magazines that can be found globally. Evan DeMarco is a leading sports medicine and nutrition expert published author and speaker, leveraging his sports background, his entrepreneurial success, and his thirst for knowledge. He developed a vastly improved formula for prenatal supplements delivered in liquid form when he learned he would become a father. He has since worked to develop numerous ingredient technologies to improve brain function in infants, children, and adults. His patented alpha and omega is used in more than 25% of prenatal vitamins worldwide. Like many single parents, Evan has struggled with the demands of his career and the desire to be a present and engaged single parent. He discusses this part of his world on his other podcast, Single Parents Daily. Welcome, Evan and Jenna. How are you? Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Now, each of you guys have a really interesting journey that led you to where you are today. Jenna, yours began with an illness and with the failure of Western medicine to treat it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I kind of was bombarded with a whole host of issues back in 2015. Um, I was suffering from recurrent infections that just kind of kept coming back. I, I wasn't able to really get down to the bottom of what was causing these infections that I was getting. And after so many rounds of antibiotics, you're like, okay, you kind of throw your hands up. You're like, what, what do you do now? I mean, I can't just keep, you know, treating this like this. Like there has to be more of like an underlying issue. And my goal was to try and solve that. So um, what I did was I headed to a naturopathic doctor to try and help me kind of figure out the root cause of my problems. Um, And after some blood work and a bunch of testing, 
I found I had a lot of stuff going on, like heavy metal toxicity, um, huge candida overgrowth um, in my gut. Um, I had like 32 food intolerances. So I, you know, indicative of leaky gut and um, just bad gut health, which probably was attributed to the the stress of my life, a bunch of sugar, the antibiotics just kind of destroyed there. Um, and then I found out I had um, cervical cancer oh cells as well. So I was kind of just bombarded with a lot of a lot of things. I didn't really know where to begin or where to start and kind of where to start healing. So um, I kind of crawled into a hole and did a bunch of research, just tried to do everything I possibly could as far as um, diet, lifestyle, supplementation, just doing everything I could to heal my body from within. And that, that helped, that helped. So, you know, that's kind of how I got super passionate about, um, more like, like lifestyle and nutrition and mindset, because I think that was a huge contributing factor to my declining health at that time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, and yeah, and I'm now I'm, I'm doing much better, but it's, it's funny. I used to work in the pharmaceutical industry and I, I lost my job. We had this huge national layoff the day before I found out I had all these health issues. Oh, so it was almost like the sign, like you lost your job in the pharmaceutical industry and you've also just found out about all this stuff. So um, I just looked at that as an opportunity to, to learn and to read a lot and to do a bunch of research and work with my doctors. And it, it really helped me out. So, well, congratulations on your journey to uh, better health. And, uh, thank you. I think it's interesting. I mean, a lot of people that I talk to, including myself have our own health issues that have not been resolved by traditional medicine. And then mm-hmm. we find functional medicine, integrative medicine, naturopathic medicine, and that often leads us to a path of better health. And in, in my case, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I believe and follow. And um, I've had a lot of people on the show who have espoused the same philosophy after battling with their own illnesses. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I can share the same story and I, I had the same story. So mm-hmm. it's it's amazing. And and Evan, you know, you're one of the experts in, in omega-3 fatty acids and CBD. So but really it all began with uh, prenatal supplementation. You know, it kind of did, but uh, you know, as you guys talk a little bit about your journeys and, and really turning from uh, turning away from Western medicine into more of a, a holistic approach, my journey really began probably long before both of yours. And and so my grandmother was the original naturopathic doctor crusader. Wow! Uh, back before the internet, back before there was any of this, uh, my grandfather was diagnosed with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia, and lead poisoning from uh, years of working around like leaded paint and gas because he owned a, a, a painting in a gas a painting company in a gas station in the 60s and 70s. So when when Western medicine failed and it was nothing but pharmaceutical intervention after pharmaceutical intervention, she finally threw her hands in there and said, "How can I fix this?" So she was going after people sending out newsletters, you know, original naturopathic doctors who were sending out newsletters on things like cryotherapy and chelation therapy back in the 80s. Um, So my journey down this road really began with my grandmother. And I remember when I was like 10 and 12 years old, she was telling me like, hey, have you taken your CoQ10 today? (laughs) I mean, like this was before people even knew what the hell CoQ10 was. So I was always really instilled with this idea that we have this innate ability outside of the realm of traditional medicine to heal our bodies. And 
that had always been the undercurrent of my life and the underpinnings. And, and I remember just kind of going through my life. I, that was always the driving force in my health and wellness. And then when I found out I was going to be a father, I really looked at traditional prenatal vitamins and recognized that they hadn't evolved since like the 60s or 70s. Right. The same stuff my mom was taking was the same thing that my wife at the time was taking. So I was really focused on fetal brain development and recognizing that uh, structured lipids had a profound impact on brain development, not just postpartum, but you know prenatal as well. And so how did we really start to introduce some of these structured lipid concepts, you know, utilizing things like alpha-glycerol phosphocholine, uh, phosphatidylcholine, and binding those enzymatically with polyunsaturated fatty acids to create some prenatal vitamin supplementation that was really a new and novel way to help, uh, you know, the modern pregnancy. And, and as that really became the focal point of my life and really working with a lot of, interestingly enough, pharmaceutical companies on prescription prenatals, I had this goal of creating really about 25% of the global prenatal base with my alpha and omega patented blend. And, and that kind of came to fruition. And, and as we started to really look at prenatal vitamins and polyunsaturated fatty acids, the conversation then led into uh, CBD or full spectrum phytocannabinoids. And I had this very visceral response. I tell people kind of growing up as an athlete, you know, uh, the rule of thumb was get caught with drugs, you're off the team. Mm -hmm. So when people start talking about hemp, I'm like, no, no, that's a drug. That's a drug. I don't want to touch that. So it took me a long time of really uh, evaluating the research and looking at the research and looking at, you know, what are these plant medicines and these plant compounds and understanding that our view of medicine or potential therapies in, in the United States is so completely ass backwards. Uh, and so, you know, it really took that education, that hard education to say, okay, like this has some therapeutic benefit and, and really is it the panacea that everybody thinks it is? Probably not. But when we really start to compound some of these older plant medicines, uh, you know, dealing with modern diseases, we can start to see therapeutic benefit. And, and I think, you know, looking at your stuff, you've done the same thing, but you know, we have this lingering problem uh, called the uh, Food and Drug Administration <laughs> that really doesn't like us to have these conversations. And luckily, podcast is a great medium for us to do that Thank anyway. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, it's interesting. You guys have great stories. Um, and then you guys merged and formed Complete Human. And it's a four-pillar platform. Can you talk to us a little bit about Complete Human, the platform, and, and the whole genesis of this, of this branding? Yeah, actually, that, that's a great question. And the genesis really kind of came out of something that we had started about a year ago. Um, actually, a year ago to the day, uh, because Facebook told us that it was a year ago <laughs> to the day that we were in Peru. I love that Facebook told us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the whole memory is saying it's, yeah. Um, so a year ago to the day, we were backpacking through Peru and we had just come off of uh, a Costa Rica trip where we'd been working with Laird Hamilton and Gabby Reese on the XPT platform. And so we'd really had all of this momentum about some things that we wanted to do. And so we discussed this concept of life to the max where we really wanted to embody this concept of adventure and social responsibility. And so we'd started out with that platform of Life to the Max. It was a digital content platform where we were kind of traveling the world prior to COVID, telling amazing stories of, of inspirational people doing great things for, for the people and the planet. And I think somewhere along the way, the messaging got lost. It became more of this, well, what adrenaline junkie thing are you guys going to do this week? And that wasn't the messaging that we really wanted. We were really hyper-focused on this idea that we 
as a species can kind of change our trajectory. We can do some things that undermine or, or kind of undo a lot of the bad that we've done, both globally, you know, in the terms of climate, in terms of, you know, pollution, in terms of medicine and health and wellness. And so as we really sat back and looked at the foundation of what we wanted to create, Complete Human re- reemerged as this, this platform, you know, where we wanted to take what we believed led to our success, both in health and wellness and business-wise and, and kind of socially, and apply that to some structure that we could talk about in, in our platform. And so that's really where Complete Human was born. Oh, that's awesome. And out of that, um, we have our four pillars, mm-hmm. which are physical health, mental fortitude, spiritual abundance, and planetary connection. So a lot of the individuals that we speak to and, and tell their stories, those are the key pillars that we love to highlight in what they're doing, especially the social responsibility. And like, what are people doing to make the world a better place? How are we making our people and our planet healthier for us to live here as long as we can? Because as we're seeing now, things are just falling apart. <laughs> so right. how can we prolong this? And that's kind of the inspiration that Evan and I have behind the behind complete human so that's fantastic and and it's great because your your uh, four pillars is you know mind body and spirit plus planet earth so that's kind of it's it's novel in the sense that you always hear the term is mind body and spirit but you go a step further and really include the planet which is of course hugely important in in the state that we're in with covid and with all these mm-hmm. natural disasters that are occurring all over the place since the beginning of the year so mm-hmm. you also you have a statement where you say that you feel that your journey is complete. And, and so what does that mean? And, and what does that mean to you specifically as like health and, and mindset leaders? Um, I don't know. I would, I would say it's a never ending journey of becoming complete. I mean, yeah. I think, I think we, I know Evan and I were both focused every day on how do we become better people? How do we become better just people of the planet and people for ourselves and, you know, for, for our families? Um, and I think I think it's a never-ending journey, and I mean you can you can touch on that a little bit more too. But I, I always look at you know as someone prior to COVID who really enjoyed the gym and really enjoyed just getting out of the house and working out. I, I was always kind of in this duality of January first or January second. I loved it and I hated it. You know, I'd go to the gym in January second. It was packed. <laughs> you couldn't get on a machine. You couldn't work out. It was all of these people who had these New Year's resolutions. And then January 3rd, it was a little bit slower because everyone who overdid it on January 2nd couldn't get out of bed on January 3rd. Right. But then it started to taper off. And by March 1st, it was back to normal. Um, and, and what we find is there's this mental fortitude piece that stops people from embracing their true health and wellness journey. So once we focused on fixing that, when we really started to look at some of the very successful people who are making great strides in health and wellness, they weren't dealing with, this is how many reps you have to do. This is the number of squats you have to do. It was, how do you fix the mental blocks that keep us from really embracing true health and wellness? And once we do those, then we can move on to this pillar of physical health and wellness. And then from there, we can kind of work into this you know, uh, this spiritual abundance, and that comes in the form of so many different ways. You know, some people will call that church, some people call that God, Buddha, Brahma, it doesn't necessarily matter. It's what are we doing that exists outside of ourselves to, you know, to to enlighten ourselves as, as individuals. And then when we really take that forward, that A plus B plus C equals this exponential ability to change the planet. So we wanted mental fortitude, we wanted physical health, we wanted spiritual abundance to create a community and a mindset that allowed people to say, I'm accountable to myself day in and day out. And then if I can go out and create a community of like-minded people, that's the tide that changes the world. And all of that leads to this journey of kind of becoming complete, but it's, it's not 
I don't go into the gym and, you know, do one push-up and, and I'm healthy for the rest of my life. I don't pop one vitamin and say, okay, now I'm good for the rest of my life. And so it's these small, subtle shifts that equal big cataclysmic changes that allow us to take these evolutionary leaps. And, and that's that whole journey, right? It's, it's a journey that, do we ever get to the end? Probably not. Uh, or if we do, you know, who knows what happens on the other side of, uh, you know, the other side of that, but it's really just this recognition that the daily work is what makes lasting change. Yeah. And I have to agree with you there. For me, it's, you know, the journey for me is, you know, the typical journeys are you always have a start and an end. And I agree that the journey really is an ongoing process, especially in the fields that we're in. And for me, it's like, it's all about the ripple effect. You know, how can I change myself where it can really impact other people. And, you know, through various modalities, you know, whether it's through plant medicine, whether it's through nutrition, whether it's through mindfulness, you know, yoga and meditating, all that to me is, is how I can change myself as a person and grow as an individual. And as a result, the people who I impact, you know, whether it's through the podcast or the books that I've written or just seeing patients on a, on a regular basis, it's just the ripple effect that's the whole how transformation is going to occur and, and, and change. And it's, that's, that's kind of the goal that I set out myself last year when I wrote the book is like, I want to implement change. And it's, I, I used to love seeing patients one-on-one, but that's just in order for me to really make that change occur, you have to think in a broader scale. And that's where for me, it was about writing the book and doing these podcasts and, and really be an advocate for integrative and functional medicine as well as as well as the utilization of psychedelic medicine. So it's it's just I'm a big fan of of your philosophy. So it's really nice to talk to like-minded people. Thank you very yeah, much. Thank and you. We feel the same way. But you know, I, I think a lot of it just comes down to this vibrational energy. Exactly. Right? Like how do people like us amplify the energy that we know can change the trajectory of humankind. Mm-hmm. And, and I think right now is one of those perfect times in, in human civilization where there's such this polarization and there doesn't have to be because there's a group of people like us who say, you know, we don't care what you believe. We don't care what you do. It's can we operate in the same vibrational frequency that allows us to recognize that we all have our own path. We're all unique. We're all distinct, but there are some key components that lead to better health, better wellness, better health for the planet. And, and, and right now, we're kind of in that shouting match with the, the opposite spectrum of people are like, let's just keep doing things the way that we're doing. Let's keep pumping carbon dioxide into the air. Let's, you know, let's drive our suburbans around and pollute ourselves into oblivion. So now is an integral time in our existence where we have a real opportunity to change everything. And it comes down to how do we embrace uh, you know, that vibrational energy and how do we amplify that to the rest of the world? Yeah. And, and it's interesting. It's, it's, when I was sick with cancer, you know, I was at a really very low vibrational energy and I didn't understand what it meant to raise vibrational frequency. And it was interesting at that time, I would always be attracting like-minded people of that same frequency. And I was like, why am I around people who were horrible, who were just, and it's just because my frequency was lower. And now over the last two years, since I've done so much personal growth and change and transformation, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm vibrating in a higher frequency. So I'm attracting those types of people. And, and those types of people are the same people that want to implement a change where the entire globe can be transformed for the better. And it's, it's just fascinating. It's wherever I look and wherever I turn, you know, I, I get a new email, you know, in, in the morning. And I'm like, oh, this person wants to do the same thing that I want to do. So it's, it's, it's really awesome how we're all collaborating and we're all vibrating in the same frequency and attracting one another to each other. 
Mm-hmm. And that's such a great point, uh, you know, Dr. Divas, is I, I think when people get stuck, that mental fortitude, it's recognize, you know, if you're in that rut where you feel like you're in that rut, look at the people that you're around. Yeah. You know, are, you know, are, are you guys doing the same thing? Is it, well, I, you know, I'm overweight and I'm sick. Well, you know, if you're going out for beer and chicken wings every night, <laughs> right. you know, start to look at your close circle of, of people and recognize like what vibrational energy are are they playing with? And it's okay to fire your friends sometimes. Yep. You know, if you're mm-hmm. if you believe that you can do better, if you believe that you want more out of your life, it's okay to say these people are not good for me and seek out, you know, seek out those people that, you know, are vibrating at a place that you want to be at. And yeah. we found I think that we agree that we're the type of people that we're going to grab anyone who gravitates towards that energy and pull them along with us. Right. Like you might not be there yet, but hey, if you desire that, we're going to find a way to 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 bring you into the fold. And it's interesting, you know, it's also a lot of people are facing loneliness because we're, we're cooped up in our homes and we don't have a sense of, of community. And it's really finding that community that resonates with you that will get people out of that loneliness feeling. And it, it's happened for me too. And it's all about you know finding that community where you feel that your words are being heard, your feelings are being uh, heard, and you have a sounding board that where someone who's is receptive to what you're saying and and doesn't condescend or you know look at you in a different way because they can't relate or they're just in a way where they're they're putting you down for whatever uh, you're trying to communicate so and and it's mm-hmm. it's it's been fascinating how exactly what you said it's like if your community and the people that you're surrounding yourself with you know aren't making you a better person in terms of health and wellness and well-being, then it's, it's time to look at that circle and, and see if you can't change and, and, and find a better circle where you have more common ground with. You know, what is Mark Twain's quote at the end of your day is you're more likely to regret the things you didn't do than right. the things you did do. And so, you know, we can all stay on that hamster wheel, the same path with the same people doing the same thing. That's the definition of insanity. But I, I think that there comes a point in all of our lives where we strive and we yearn for that next step, that next, you know, that next stage of our evolution. And as hard as it can be, that hard work is the thing that leads to that next phase. And again, that can be as simple as like, Hey guys, you know, you've been an integral part of my life and my journey, but it's time for me to move on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is the direction that I'm going. If you want to come with me, great. If not, you know. Yeah, that's okay too. I think more people are understanding the connection between your mental and emotional health and how that is quite literally affecting your physical health as well. I mean, just just to kind of backtrack a little bit with with my journey, I was looked at as the epitome of health, someone who has a presence on social media. Um, who worked out on a daily basis, landed a few magazine covers, yet was dealing with all these unhealthy things. And, you know, hindsight, I kind of look back like, okay, well, I was also in a toxic marriage at that point too. And so it's like, I was constantly surrounded by not the right people, right? And how much, how much of that truly affected health. But I think, I think people are, are waking up to this idea that our emotions, our mental health is directly related to our physical health too. Um, so I, I totally, cool. Yeah. We're all on the same page. The, yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt that those two are related. So, and, and it's, and they both affect one another. So, mm-hmm. you know, I also want to get into the topic of, of, of bio-optimization and it's kind of a hot topic. Let's get into a little bit of a deep dive and talk about what that really means and, and how you guys are, are using products to, to bio-optimize folks. 
Great question. And I think I've taken a little flack from some good friends of mine who play in what we'll call the biohacking community, because I've been very vocal about the differences this with this. And I've always said that, you know, I, I use the analogy, when was the last time someone called you up and said, hey, I just got hacked and they thought it was a good thing? So hacking by definition isn't necessarily this positive thing. And I think that when we look at it in the context of what it is from a definition standpoint, it's usually an attempt to get a system to do something it wasn't designed to do. Now, when we start looking at a lot of the things that have taken place in humans evolution or the human evolution, especially over the last hundred years, right? You know, uh, omega-6 to omega-3 ratios, telomere shortening, uh, mitochondrial dysfunction, insulin resistance, all the things that are causing so many of the systemic problems we're dealing with. That's not, you can't hack your way out of that. That's that has to be optimized. And so we start with what are the basics, right? I can go on a I can go on someone's website, you know, like a, a Bulletproof's website or a Ben Greenville uh, website, and I can get ten thousand tips and tricks. But if I don't have a starting point of where I'm at in my own health and wellness journey, those tips and tricks could be meaningless or they could be harmful. So bio optimization from our standpoint is how do we use relevant diagnostic data to create a baseline and then optimize from there. And then I'm going to take the same butter-laden coffee every day for the rest of my life. Um, I'm going to test every six months and look at, well, what are my omega levels? What are, you know, what are my, what does my cholesterol look like? And then we start to create this long-term plan of test, optimize, test, optimize, rather than just, you know, just mindlessly popping pills or doing the same thing again again and again. And so bio-optimization really just kind of came out of this idea that, these small corrections over a long enough timeline can yield major results. And, and it actually came down to an investment class that I took like when I was in high school. And they said, if you start investing now in your 401k, uh, what is that worth when you're 65 versus when you start investing when you're 40? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, optimizing the earlier you can in your life or the earlier you can in your life has such a profound impact in your life expectancy in your just your life mm-hmm. later on. And, and interesting, you were talking about, you know, um, optimizing by doing testing and then optimizing further. You know, along those testing, I think it's also important to add food sensitivities because those change on a regular basis. And they, they depend on, mm-hmm. on the state of inflammation that you're in. And I actually get my food testing, you know, every, every six months and it's, it always changes. And I'm just amazed by the sensitivities. And it's actually very accurate in terms of what I'm sensitive to and how much inflammation they cause when I consume those foods. And so it's, it's a game that we have to play. But really, if you're trying to reduce inflammation, it's something that we need to do so that we can sleep better, we can live a life that are more optimal in terms of the, in the well-being realm, and, and also optimize our mind. So I totally agree with that. And a little story that I, I, I kind of wanted to share with you. I have a few friends that I went on a golf trip with about a month ago. And they're all about the same age, you know, mid to late 40s, early 50s. And they are like, we're talking about how they just love their keto diet, but they're always at the same time, <laughs> they, they can't understand why they can't lose additional weight. And I'm, and I'm saying, well, could it be because you drink three to four sodas a day? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And right. it's, it's just that kind of stuff. It's like, they, it's, it's a trend of being in a ketogenic diet. You want to try ketosis? Yes. Um, but at the same time, you're really not looking at the broader picture at your health and what you're putting into your bodies. And, and, and that's, that to me speaks volumes. And I, I totally agree with the terminology of bio-optimization versus biohacking. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it's a very individual experience, right? I mean, maybe keto isn't for everyone and not just like how some foods aren't like, I can't do gluten and dairy, but you can, right? So it's like there, there are, it's, it's so unique for each person, but I think that's what it comes down to is you're, you're bio-optimizing, but you're bio-optimizing for you. For you yeah. specifically. Yeah. Yep. And, and it's funny, you know, we, on, on our show, we had, uh, you know, the, the carnivore doctor a couple of weeks ago and, and Paul he's Saladino. talking, you know, yeah. Dr. Saladino and he's talking literally like, you know, all you eat is meat, you know, yeah. like meat, I, meat, 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 yeah. meat. The, the following week, we have uh, Dr. Enric Sala from mm-hmm. National Geographic who's talking about, you know, health and health of the planet, eat more vegetables. And so it's just funny. There's, you know. Dichotomy, yeah. After 10,000 years of human evolution, we're still in this place with all of the scientific advancements over the last 50 to 60 years. We still are in a place where we can't decide on what's best to put in our mouths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that one of the big issues with that is, is that we're constantly looking for this one-size-fits-all approach. That's where bio-optimization really comes in is what's best for you, what's best for her may not be best for me. And, and so if we start taking advice from people who may have had a specific outcome based off of what they did, it's not fair to expect that our outcome is going to be the same. Mm-hmm. And so until we create that baseline of where we're at and where we want to go, you know, I could do keto and I could hate it. I could do keto and I could love it. I mean, I have done keto and I hate it. Yeah. It does I not do. work for me. I do too. I like, keto is not, and it's not sustainable. Yeah. Um, it, to me, diet is a four letter word, right? Like let's, it's just lifestyle. How can I live a life that improves my lifespan and my health span? Because again, I use my grandfather as, as the paradigm of this. I don't want to spend the last 10 years of my life in a nursing home, not remembering who I am or who my kids are or who my family is. You know, I want to, I want to go and go and go until the day that I just, you know, keel over. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. That's the goal. At 150, <laughs> of course. His goal is to live to 150. So, or I mean, me too. I guess that'd be cool to live that long. Yeah, I, I have a business partner that also he he. Our whole premise of the business is to um, live to 150. So it's I guess that's mm-hmm. just a good number to aspire to. <laughs> what's what's the saying? Like shoot for the star or shoot for the moon? Aim for the stars. Right? If you yeah. miss, you miss, you'll still land yeah. on the moon. And and you know. I want to live well to whatever age that is. And and I think that that's really what you're talking about. What we're talking about is how do we live Mm -hmm. well? How do we not spend the last 10, 15, 20 years of our lives suffering, suffering in pain, wondering when is it going to end or trying to get back to a place where we feel normal. And it's amazing how people get so used to feeling sick and tired that they don't remember what it's like to feel well. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this, this talk about, you know, as we get older, you know, a lot of people have uh, declines in their health and mental well-being and physical health. And a lot of this to me is, is secondary to years and years and years of inflammation. You know, it's become chronic over time. And, and Evan, I think somewhere you mentioned that, you know, that our approach as a society to inflammation is, is limited. So can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I think it really kind of comes down to this idea that we view inflammation as bad, which it is in the context of chronic inflammation. But, you know, if you tell someone, hey, let's look at Advil or Tylenol, it's it's non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. But when we really look at how our body responds in this optimal inflammatory response, inflammation can be a good thing if we 
condition our body to, you know, to address acute inflammation. Um, I, I've really been kind of looking at the pre-resolving mediators uh, that have really, you know, come out of the research that uh, Dr. Jeff Bland have done, Dr. Jorn Dyerberg have done. So we're, we're really looking at inflammation as this context. Chronic inflammation is the root cause of all disease, right? But if I go into the gym and I work out, well, that's inflammation. And if my body knows how to deal with that, well, that's an inflammatory response that's beneficial for us. So I think we have to get to this place where we really reframe the concept of inflammation and what that means. Acute, not bad. Chronic, very bad. You know, disease, very bad. So if our bodies are optimized to the point where we can consistently deal with acute inflammation, where we can clear cellular debris, where we can, you know, deal with microscopic tears in our muscles, where we have this ability to respond appropriately to inflammation, um, I think that that's going to be one of the keys to longevity. And, and as really we start to look at mitochondrial dysfunction and insulin resistance, one of the biggest, you know, in my opinion, one of the biggest catalysts to those is our bodies are constantly dealing with chronic inflammation. So we can't deal with some of the issues that we know can keep us healthy longer. Um, And and mitochondrial dysfunction, I think is going to be one of the big talking points in the future of how do we optimize our mitochondria? Um, How do we obviously, you know, stay insulin uh, or, or fix insulin resistance? And, you know, how do we start looking at the telomere equation? You know, how, how do we do all of these in a package deal so that we can really have a better health span? Yeah. And I think I agree with you there. I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, I, I, I'm a big proponent of curtailing and curbing inflammation when it's in a chronic state. And, uh, you know, as, as you know, in, in medical terminology, chronic inflammation is inflammation that, you know, occurs anything that's outside of three months and greater. And, you know, we as physicians or, or especially in the integrative medicine field and functional medicine field, it's all about reducing inflammation, you know, uh, to optimize the health of the body and the mind. And, you know, we can get inflammatory markers and we can do all sorts of things to, uh, to get a better gauge. And we can also go through symptoms, you know, as you know, people who have chronic inflammation, it can come up as, you know, issues with the GI system, you know, bloating, gas, you know, all sorts of issues that are going on with, with the GI issues, GI system. Rather, and then we also have disorders that are in the mental uh, space, like anxiety, depression. That could also be symptoms of chronic inflammation. That is one aspect of it. But you bring a very good point about acute inflammation, and we're not talking about acute inflammation like if you scratch yourself, you know, and cut yourself. That's a different inflammatory process. But like exercise, and when we go through a workout regimen where we're trying to have muscular hypertrophy, you know, we're going to have those muscular tears and, and things of that nature. But that is how our body develops hypertrophy and muscular hypertrophy. And it's important to distinguish the two because I don't want to come across to folks that are listening that saying that, you know, inflammation is good, but we have to make a distinction. And I totally understand that exercise is an inflammatory response that we need to really take advantage of our cellular systems and our, and, and our, our, our physical bodies. We need that inflammation so that we can adapt and, and to build a better body. But Chronic inflammation is is something that is just plaguing our entire country and our society. You know, through all the toxic uh, exposure through chemicals from our environment, from the chemicals that we put on our bodies every day, and from the food that we eat. So that's kind of my crusade is trying to reduce those types of contributors to to chronic inflammation. Um, Absolutely. And I I think, you know, you bring up something that we have to acknowledge is is that our environment is, for the first time, it's not what it's ever been. And so, you know, 
I think dietary supplements in the beginning were things that you could take to supplement your diet if you could not get the appropriate, you know, nutritional value from your food. If if you're a potato farmer in Kansas and you don't have access to a lot of vitamin C, maybe you're taking a supplement so you can avoid scurvy. And and the probability of that was low. But now we've kind of screwed up our environment to the point where, I mean, people should consider maybe glutathione on a more consistent Mm -hmm. basis. Right now with COVID, we should be looking at things like NAC as, you know, as lung support, especially we're in Northern California. I can't step outside without hacking Mm -hmm. up along with all the fires. So, you know, we have to kind of pair where we're at in, in our human evolution with, the needs of, of individuals and the needs of our bodies and say, okay, there is a time now that if we're going to get ahead of inflammation, if we're going to teach our bodies to deal with acute before it becomes chronic, there's some steps that we have to take to really understand where we're at right yeah. now. Yeah, totally agree with you there. Hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all have helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in oncology, cancer, healing, and medical eBooks, and number 21 in all of the Kindle store. You've also helped us hit number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't received your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or booksatmillion.com. Visit from doctortopatient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. If you like our book and podcast, please go to amazon.com to write a five-star review and go to Apple Podcasts to also write a five-star review on this podcast or any of our episodes that you've enjoyed. We need reviews to attract and secure top-notch guests for this show. Thank you so much for your support. And you were just talking about, and also you have this this supplement line that you guys uh, have with your the business Complete Human. Can you go into a little bit about your product line and 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 what they're for? Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, well, we have PRM Response, which is what Evan was just discussing with the pre-resolving mediators, um, which I think is probably my most I'm, I'm most excited about that product. Mm-hmm. One because we just launched it, <laughs> so <laughs> very exciting news. Um, but we also have other fish oils as well. Um, we also have a greens powder, a res beet formula, which is resveratrol and beets, um, glutamine for gut health. I'm pro- am I missing something? Yeah. So immunity. So, uh, and we've got an immunity product. So those are the launch vehicles, but with complete human, the, the product line, what we really wanted to focus on were products that were good for people and good for the planet. So it wasn't just dietary supplements. Uh, one of the things that we'll be launching in the next couple of weeks is a coffee line. Mm. And I'm a coffee addict, uh, as is most Americans, right? I think it's arguably said that caffeine is America's greatest addiction with 330 million cups of coffee uh, that get consumed every single day. That's not a week, that's not a month, that's a year, but 330 million cups of coffee a day. Now, environmental change is really uh, starting to take its toll on coffee farmers. Uh, So what we did was we paired with a company called Cafe Feminino, which is a group of women-owned coffee farms throughout the world, women-owned and operated. And we've launched a coffee line that gives the proceeds of the sales back to this group so they can not only uh, employ women coffee farmers as well as this co-op of uh, of female-owned, you know, just coffee farms, but they can also start to fight back on climate change. They can start to acquire new land that becomes more favorable for coffee growing. They can start to, you know, really invest in research that's going to help protect 
my greatest addiction, which is coffee. Um, we've got a list of, uh, you know, we've got, we're launching some cleaning supplies, you know, some very environmentally friendly uh, plant-based cleaning supplies, you know, laundry detergents. And it's just, we don't think about all of the touch points in our daily life that have a profound impact on the planet. So part of Complete Human's goal, our mission is to really start to give back to the planet by not only creating products that, you know, uh, that really support the health of our ecosystem, but then also utilize the sales of those to, to donate to specific causes so that we know that we can have a monetary impact on the, on the benefit of this planet. Yeah. I love that message. I mean, it really goes in line with, you know, what you're trying to do is to, you know, really balance and optimize my body spirit and also protect the planet. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I've got a six-year-old daughter and I, I think as parents, our singular goal is to leave a better place, you know, for, for our kids. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to leave a, a, I don't know if you've seen some of the memes that have been floating around social, but it's pictures of San Francisco um, over the last couple of days with the fires. And it's like right next to it is pictures from Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> yeah, in this, you know, it's like, like that's the world we're living in. I don't want to leave that for my right. daughter. I want to leave her a paradise, not a, you know, a parking lot. Right. I know. <laughs> You know, we're probably running close out of time, but I really want to take a few minutes and, and, and discuss something that I saw on your guys' blog. Um, I think last week you guys put a blog about um, traveling to Peru and, and, and having an ayahuasca journey. So talk to me a little bit about that because uh, psychedelic medicines are, is fascinating to me and it's one of my passions. And as I talk about that in my book, and I'm just curious as what led you to that path to, to, uh, to drink ayahuasca. Well, um, it, it, honestly, it's something that I've been researching for years, but I never actually had the balls <laughs> to go do it and have that experience. Um, cause, uh, I've, I've heard and I have now experienced that it's not a very enjoyable experience, but, um, me, for me personally, it was a very beautiful and healing one. Um, as far as traveling to Peru though, I mean, it was, it was a trip that we decided to go on with a friend of ours and we were like, you know, while we're there and if this is something that we're feeling called to, and if we feel like it's right for us, why not participate in a ceremony? Mm -hmm. And, um, so the three of us did one together and, um, yeah, it was one of the most memorable, amazing experiences of my life. Um, yeah. And I think what came out of that, our story, and you can listen to it at, uh, you know, completehuman.com is, is our story of ayahuasca is, I think it came out really well for Jana, moderately well for me, not at all well for our, our travel companion, but it was almost a cautionary tale of, we wanted to do it. And so we felt like we could force it into this time frame rather than truly experiencing the, you know, the beauty of the medicine and, and really sitting with it. And so it was like, get into Cusco, you know, rush off to the ceremony, you know, do the medicine, rush back to the hotel and then go hiking for 10 days through the, the mountains of Peru. So it was a, it was a, it was something that I think we were all called to do, but I still caution people, uh, you know, if you listen to our podcast, it's, make the time for it, you know, do all the prep work going into it, really understand mm -hmm. what you're getting and that this is a medicine, uh, that these psychedelics can have a really fascinating impact on how we perceive the world. Uh, but it has to be done in the right context. And, and even though it did work out pretty well for us, I, I wish we would have had an, uh, an extra two days to not just do the one ceremony, but maybe do another one and really get to embrace the whole experience of being there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause we only had one, one ceremony. There was only time for one evening there. So I kind of wish we had a few, some people go for like a few days, right. Or like a week they'll yep. stay at a retreat center. And, um, you know, I, I really like our experience cause we, we did the ceremony and then we were able to just backpack throughout Peru, which was still absolutely incredible. 
Um, but I, I do wonder often if, if there would have been more of a, um, a greater positive impact or healing, I guess, if we did more, more ceremonies while we were there. And I think if you listen to our story, you'll, you'll also, it's, it's humorous because I almost pooped on her. <laughs> um, it's humorous for a lot of other reasons, but that's, that seems to be the big takeaway. But, um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a binding experience and it's something that's, it, it's binding, but it's so personal. And so I think that we're really starting to see this resurgence of these. Um, I, I'm sure you read How to Change Your Mind. And, mm-hmm. you know, by Michael Pollan, yeah. Yeah. And, and this counterculture that kind of came out of, you know, Harvard and the LSD experiments, I think we're really kind of coming back to that. And right now we are all suffering from a global trauma. We need it. Yeah. yeah. More so yeah. than ever. And I mean, I use the words global trauma. People are afraid to go outside. People are afraid to do anything now. And, and you know, yes, there are very real medical concerns in the world right now, but once those diminish or if they diminish, we're going to have to find a way to heal from that. And that's not Prozac. Oh, I 100% agree with you there. I mean, and as a proponent of of these psychedelics and the things that I've seen for people, it has dramatically changed and, and successfully rid pharmaceutical agents that are supposed to be treating depression and anxiety. And uh, interesting enough, through this whole year, since there's been um, so much increase in anxiety and depression as a result, there have been more prescriptions for your Xanaxes, your SSRIs, and all these other uh, oh, antidepressants. Yeah. And it's it's really unfortunate because those have obviously harmful impacts on the body and they actually worsen the cycle of health. And and, and don't get me wrong, in some cases they're absolutely well needed, mm-hmm. but there's so many different things that can be done. And I'm looking forward to seeing a time when we have all these medicines that are actually, these plant medicines that are available on a legal basis for, for folks to, to use to improve their mental well-being. And um, mm-hmm. this year, I believe there's you know over 100 municipalities that are going to have decriminalization of these substances on the ballot. So currently there are two, like, you know, I know you have, uh, what is it? Um, Berkeley and Colorado have decriminalized LSD. And so now as we're heading towards this, but I, I guess I want to turn this back to you a little bit, uh, doctors, as what are the pitfalls with these psychedelics in the open market? And I think how do we avoid some of the issues that we saw in the past in the 60s, especially what we saw with Timothy Leary out of out of Harvard? How do we make sure that this doesn't go through another round of criminalization because we we can't be accountable to the people with these type of medicines? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's my fear. And it only takes one bad situation. Like if you have a celebrity or someone who has a big name who goes to an experience, you know, that is with an untrained or, or, or um, a person who doesn't know how to facilitate these experiences and goes into an issue where they have problems on the on the backside. That's what's going to be covered by the media, you know, and, and it's and it's unfortunate that the media will take that one isolated incident and it will lead to horrendous, you know, issues as a result of that. And it could come back to the point where, you know, there's going to be more scrutiny on these substances. And I really think that there needs to be a standardization for facilitation um, and more education about these substances and more education that are provided for facilitators to provide a good experience to people. And it really truly is about set and setting. And, and that's kind of a common theme and common terminology that you'll come across when you read about psychedelic medicines and, and books like How to Change Your Mind. You know, the mindset that you go into a, a medicine circle is extremely important. If you are having a lot of anxiety, if you're having a lot of issues that you're dealing with that 
aren't compatible with what you're about to enter into, you really shouldn't do it. And more importantly, it's the setting. If you don't have a proper setting that you're involved in, if you don't know the facilitator, if you don't know the people that you're um, sharing this medicine circle with, you know, you really have to think twice about it because those are two things are the really contributing factors in terms of how your experience is going to be shaped. And I've been in a situation where I've, I've been facilitated a medicine experience where it was a facilitator that I wasn't very, I didn't know very well, and it was a very poor job of facilitating, and my experience was suboptimal. And on the flip side, I've had great experiences as a result of the facilitator and, and, and the care they, they did to really put together a nice setting for me to let go and, and fully surrender. You know, and that's the whole thing about these medicines is that you have to fully surrender. If you don't surrender, you know, if something is keeping you from surrender, then you could have an experiences that, that could be traumatizing. And, and that's, I see that a lot of times and it's unfortunate, but I hope to, in the future, hopefully in the near future, there'll be some sort of standardization protocol where people have to go through to get some sort of certification in order to facilitate these experiences. Now, and that's probably one of the few ways that I can think of um, that will prevent from what happened in the 60s to reoccur again. Well, and it's interesting that you say that, right? Because, you know, obviously as a, as a psychologist, a psychiatrist, there's a, a huge degree of training that goes into that to be able to sit with a patient and lead them on a mental health journey. And you can have good shrinks and bad shrinks. You can have good experiences and bad experiences. And so, you know, I, I think that we are going to have to accept a level of I don't want to say bad experiences, but it, it could be that it, it's not necessarily the, the medicine itself. If, you know, if a shrink puts me on Prozac and it's a bad shrink and I can't get the work done with the shrink that I need to, well, my end result isn't going to be positive anyway. So if we can start to compartmentalize these as nothing other than a, you know, an additional drug or treatment that needs to be done in conjunction with a trained therapist, with a trained uh, guide. And more importantly, I think what we found going into our ayahuasca journey is it's advanced medicine in the sense that it's not just, oh, you've got a problem. Here's a pill that's going to fix it. You have to do the work to go into it, the Correct. diet, the, you know, all that. And, and so when we take that work, um, that responsibility of the work on ourselves and recognize that we have to meet that, that medicine halfway, we have to meet that guide halfway, uh, I think that brings a, a higher level of consciousness to the table of, well, I'm prepared for this. I'm ready for this. This is what I need in my life. And if I embrace that, then it's not just a, a psychedelic. It's true medicine that can really do some great, right. some, some good for this planet. And the other thing is, is that people shouldn't just jump into a psychedelic circle or, or a, a solo one-on-one -on -one session. You, know, you really need to prepare your mind and your body for it. As you were mentioning, that you know, there is a diet component that should be adhered to prior to going into the medicine ceremony. But the other thing is, is that you need to understand if this is something that is suitable for you. And to find that out, you really need to first have some sort of meditation practice, some mindfulness practice, you know, and that prepares you a lot better for an experience like a medicine journey, regardless of what substance you're using. The other thing that I feel is, is, is also necessary is also to have some sort of um, experience in the float tank. And a float tank is a sensory deprivation tank, and you just basically sit in, in the dark floating in, 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 you know, sometimes it's a pot of water or sometimes it's a bigger facility, but that can actually kind of almost be a psychedelic experience in of itself. And those are, those are two things that I feel that are really a good ways to see how, test yourself to see if you're able to move forward and, and endure a psychedelic ceremony. And there's other medicines that are actually similar to these plant medicines, 
like ketamine. And ketamine is a, is a legal substance that is prescribed by a physician and currently is being broadly used as an anesthetic. That's what a lot of anesthesiologists and, and, and uh, certified nurse anesthetists use in the OR. They usually use a little bit of the ketamine to induce the anesthetic process. But in varying doses, it has the ability to help with treatment-resistant depression. And also in higher doses, it can be used to provide a psychedelic journey for people. And it's 15 to 20 minutes long. So it's not that long and, and it's very effective and it has a very good resulting effect in reducing anxiety and depression while going on this journey. So it's, it's got like a three-prong effect. You know, it kind of relaxes you, rewires your brain. You know, it's very neuroplastic and it also can give you this psychedelic journey. So, And the safety data, data on it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, in fact, yeah. we have a good friend who did um, eight ketamine uh, sessions in Park City, Utah, just for that, it's you know, like you go in 15 to 20 minutes, it's a high dose, it's it's you know a hallucinogenic dose, but um, you know, obviously, with the work that goes into it, the work that goes you know into uh, you know working on your issues in between sessions, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good that have come out from this you know, this end of one that, that we know. So, I think we're going to see a lot more of that, and, and hopefully. Hopefully, Congress pulls its head out of its, you know, where, uh, you know, long enough to start to legalize some of these things so that more and more people can have the experiences that they're all clamoring for. Yep. yep. I th- and I think just having these discussions and, and, you know, in the open, in the podcast world and community helps get that messages out and in people who are supporting um, MAPS. You know, MAPS is a phenomenal organization that currently has MDMA in phase three trials that should be legalized within the next year or two. And they also have, and and also there's other organizations that have psilocybin that's also in in phase two trials right now. So yeah, these medicines have been fast-tracked by the FDA because it has such profound effects on on depression, anxiety, PTSD, and, and there's other applications that it's being studied for, such as OCD and even addiction. So I'm really looking forward to, to having more of these research studies. And I think that's the key is we need more of these research studies to show the utility and the benefits and success of these medicines on all these mental issues where conventional pharmaceuticals have been only 30%, if not less, effective. Yeah. And that means that the onerous is on us as a general public to not screw this up by doing something stupid and doing some back alley ayahuasca ceremony with someone <laughs> that you don't know. It's like, exactly. You know, like it, the responsibility, this is great medicine. And with that becomes, with that comes the responsibility of us as the general public to not mess it up. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if there's a real opportunity for us to introduce these medicines into the world, into the culture, especially a culture that's in so much pain right now, you know, let's, let's find a way. And, and that comes with being responsible to, to each and every person on this planet. Yep. Couldn't agree with you more. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate both of you taking the time out. And for our listeners, where should they be able to find you on the internet if they want to find out more about Complete Human and more about you individually? Sure. Completehuman.com is our website. And there you'll find our articles, blog posts, podcasts. Um, We have some free resources like um, awesome eBooks. Yeah. I mean, everything is on there. You guys can contact us through there if you'd like. And you have a podcast show too, right? We do. Yeah, complete human as well. That's all on the website as well. So you can you can see it in video or audio form. We we actually like to do video. I we don't do. Know why? <laughs> we like to show it's it. It's hard work. <laughs> it is. <laughs> we like to sign us up for some uh, some hard work sometimes. So yeah. <laughs> we can do hard things. That's yes. right. Well, thanks so much. It was a great meeting you both. 
Thank you. You as well. You as Thanks well. for having us.